This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones. As I say each week, the primary focus of this show is on the fan series. But this week, we're going to turn off the television and step over to one of the other topics listed in our show description, gaming. We've seen a number of Star Trek games over the years on PC, consoles, and now phones and tablets. More often than not, these focus on combat. But some try to deliver more depth that gives us an experience that is truer to Star Trek and less generic play in Star Trek wrappings. One such game is Trexels from YesGnome and X-Cube Games. Trexels is a unique blend of elements from across Star Trek that sends players on missions that involve not only combat, but also diplomacy, scientific investigation, and more. And best of all, it's all done in beautifully nostalgic 8-bit graphics. Today, we'll learn more about Trexels, the story behind its genesis, as well as the general process of video game development, as I'm joined by Craig Bolin, creative director and senior games designer at X-Cube Games. Hello, Craig. Welcome to Continuing Mission. I'm glad you could spare some time tonight to uh, talk to me about Trexels. Hey, Christopher. Really great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I, I love Star Trek games, um, especially with the iPad these days. It's it's easier for me to play because I don't have time to you know sit down with a computer or a console and play any kind of in-depth games. So I love games like Trexels, and I'm always interested in talking to the people who develop them, find out what goes in. I'm a creative myself, so I, I love the creative process and hearing about that. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about the game tonight. Fantastic. Before we jump into Trexels, though, tell us a little bit about your background in game development. Jeez, I've been in game development 16 years now or so. Oh, wow. I started out working on PC games. I've worked on a variety of different console games, you know, everything from the original PlayStation, Xbox to Xbox 360, uh, everything from starting out building RPGs. I built a Return to Crondor based on Raymond Feist's uh, novels, mm-hmm. and I also went all the way to building uh, Stuntman 2 for uh, uh, Xbox 360, so it's driving really? games, yeah. RPG games, all sorts, and then did a little development on the Wii before I moved over into mobile here with X-Cube Games. Very cool. So... 16 years, that's a long, long time in the world of video game development. How have things changed for you from when you were doing those early games 16 years ago to working on and developing for iOS now? Radically, I guess, is probably the best way to answer that. Obviously, the platforms are changing. Um, Also, the people that you're selling games to, which is sort of the, the, the point of the whole thing, is changing dramatically. And I think that's probably the biggest change. So when I started out developing, I was developing 
RPG games for nerds like me who read fantasy novels and right. played specific you know types of games. And now I'm developing casual games and mobile games. And when I was working on the Wii, some games for children or a cooking game for housewives or you know other people who are interested in cooking. So that's the biggest change. And really, what it, what it does is it makes the designer focus on who is the target, what do they want, and how does the product serve them directly, right? Right. Now, when you say cooking game, you're not talking about the port of Burger Time for the Xbox, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> on, on the Wii, uh, we built a gesture-based cooking game at Red Fly yeah. Studios, um, uh, which was actually a pretty damn cool game, uh, frankly. Uh, the team developed a number of really neat gesture-based interactions for things yeah. like stirring batter or shaking out salt. <laughs> It was it was cool. It was a real sort of master's class in learning how to use the Wiimote creatively. Yeah, the Wiimote is an interesting thing. Did developing games to use the the Wii controller, did that help you in any way when you started uh, developing games that have a touch interface? Yeah, I think it did. I think I think what it does is it sort of teaches you that you have to rethink the way people interact with games and take advantage of the specific advantages of your system. And then the second thing it taught me is don't overestimate what the system itself can do. So typically with a Wii developer, there's an arc where you start out thinking, I'm going to do things that the Wii's never done before. Then you start realizing how the Wii actually works and the remote works and how little data you're getting and how much that data has corruption or at least randomness in it and then at the end you're basically thinking how can I use the Wiimote in the simplest most direct way (laughs) so uh, again with the touch interface it makes you think okay this game is for people who have a touchpad they want to touch they don't want virtual buttons they don't want to pretend that they have a controller in their hands because frankly this is not a controller so how do I actually how do I actually make the game about about how the system is controlled. How do I actually make the game about touching, dragging, interacting, and so forth? And then finally, physical interactions have direct uh, feedback. So if I push a button, I feel a button click, it pushes back against my skin, I know that it happened. Um, with both the Wii and with the touch interface, you basically have to create that feedback for the user. Otherwise, he feels really unsatisfied by the interaction. Right. So I guess as a developer for tablets and smartphones now, you're really looking forward to the day when we actually have some sort of tactile feedback on the screen. It's interesting. It sure is interesting. Um, it's one of those things like I have to see it working before I before I have to say I'm looking forward to it. Um, right. Everybody in the world thought gesture-controlled games were going to be fantastic and everyone loved them and everything should be done with a camera and just kind of, you know, who needs a sword? But, you know, there's a, it's just sometimes there's, if you look at a game that's been developed over, I would say, a decade or two decades of iterations of using a controller and the basic interface that people use to play point and click slasher games like Diablo or so forth, you try to move that into a different control scheme and you, you, you quickly run up against problems. Right. Um, people wear out standing up waving their arms around, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you've got, you've got to, you know, I, I don't really believe in a silver bullet in terms of interaction. I think some of the simplest interaction systems, old Nintendo games, for example, with two buttons and a four-square controller still have some of the best gameplay. Yeah. It's about using those interactions in a way that, that people really enjoy. Well, exactly, because I'm a big 
college football fan. And so my PlayStation 3 is basically a very expensive NCAA football box. Yep. And they put Madden out for iPad and they did college football for iPhone, I think. And I tried them out. And like you're saying, just the traditional controller with buttons works in that situation, whereas a, a touch control just absolutely doesn't work for that type of game. Absolutely. Um, also, I have a Western Michigan um, campaign going now. Oh, you do? <laughs> Western okay. Michigan Broncos and NCAA. Right. I'm very sad. I don't know when there's going to be another NCAA football game. Exactly. Well, let's talk about Star Trek a little bit, because the game that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the show today is about Star Trek. One thing I always like to know when I talk about Star Trek with people, whether it's for a game or a creative project or anything, is what's your history with Star Trek? Have you always been a fan? Do you remember when you first got interested in it? Or did you not care about Star Trek and suddenly found yourself developing a Star Trek video game? Yeah, so it's the, it's clearly the former. So I'm an old dude. I was born in 1965. So Next Generation Star Trek for me was part of a sort of series of 60s and 70s science fiction television programs that, you know, that was my only exposure in some cases to, to science fiction at that point. There just weren't that many movies in a lot of the 70s. Sci-fi movies were pretty adult. You know, Silent Running or 2001 just doesn't right. really appeal as much to a 10-year-old. Yeah. Um, so Trek was probably my favorite television show growing up, the original Trek, uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, that, that sort of triumvirate is kind of what I think of when I think of Trek. And so I'm a huge fan of the original series. And then I was a huge fan of the next generation when it came on, I was, you know, kind of there at the, at the start. And, uh, I can remember watching, you know, the original series with my father and I can remember watching next generation while I'm in college in a buddy of mine's. Uh, trailer actually and he had a, a stereo that he would equip to his television he'd hook up to his tv and you'd get the rumble of the enterprise was like, oh, you could cool. actually like feel it in yeah. the in the trailer <laughs> which was pretty cool i thought so yeah huge fan uh, i think i've seen probably every star trek episode i may have missed uh, some voyager or enterprise although i think i've gone back and caught most of them and of course i've seen every um of the movies um it's just, yeah, huge, huge Trek fan. I had to go out for a quick surgery here last year. The guys at the studio bought me a Captain Kirk bathrobe. For oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm picturing this trailer and you and your friend, you had a sign on the door that said, if this trailer is a rockin', don't worry, we're just watching Star Trek. Yeah, could be. No, it was just <laughs> sort of a subtle vibration, I think. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's pretty cool. Well, so as a kid, what was it about Star Trek and Kirk and Spock and McCoy and that show that grabbed your attention? Uh, I think initially you'd have to say that it was it was sci-fi, right? It mm-hmm. was imaginative and different. So I, I really kind of hooked onto that. Like the, the exploration of the ship flying around the galaxy and visiting new planets. Yep. And then, uh, honestly, I like those characters. I mean, just I thought that the characters, and f- frankly, you know, these days I would say the art design appealed to me. But at that, at that age, I don't know that that was specifically it. But just the exotic nature of all that stuff, all the bright colors, yeah. all the strange outfits, all the strange items, uh, and then the, you know, I was a huge Kirk fan right, as a kid, and I, you know, I actually really liked Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, all those characters. But uh, you know, he was kind of the, the first captain to me, and you know, when I was was a little bit less subtle, um, even then, I still dug it. And I, there was something about it. I grew up in Detroit. 
too, or around Detroit and Michigan in, in this period too. So the like the inclusiveness of it was really cool to me as well because that was you know I went to when I went to high school or not high school when I went to grade school around that area I was I kind of stood out a little bit and it was just neat to me to to see a show where they had so many different interesting characters and I can remember uh, specifically the Frank Gorshin black and white episode where the guy turns to him and says, well, you understand, he's black on one side and white on the other. Uh, right. just was, was an amazingly sort of uh, revealing moment to me. It's the first time really cool, like, entertainment that I was just watching for entertainment felt like it was sort of speaking to me a little bit as well. Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's what was unique about it at the time. I liked all that crap. I liked the Hulk, right? All those shows at, at that same time period. Lost in Space, I watched all that stuff, but the track was probably closest to my heart. Yeah, I used to watch Lost in Space as well. <laughs> I like it when they go inside the giant robot. That is cool. <laughs> right. So as a lifelong Star Trek fan, what has it been like for you having a chance to actually build a Star Trek video game? Oh, it's fantastic. It's great. I've got to work with a number of neat IPs just when I was developing, but it's always just so much more fun when it's something that you kind of feel as opposed to just research right and develop so that's great and then if you think about it it's sort of a lot of star trek fans dreams to sit down and you know write a dozen star trek episodes right and so you think about the opportunity to be able to script basically a season arc right and write you know a dozen star trek episodes and have people build um, cool pixelated art to represent the the objects and characters and aliens in your story, and then get George Takei to read the intro. That's uh, pretty freaking cool, man. <laughs> Definitely. Well, that is really cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about the development of the game. Now, Star Trek Trexels is an X Cube Games game, and Yes Gnome is the publisher of Trexels. And you are the senior games designer at X-Cube Games. And this kind of collaboration and development and publishing is very common in video games, of course. But for those listening who don't know the ins and outs of game development, tell us how this relationship works. Sure, sure. No problem. In terms of YesGnome and X-Cube, it's a really easy relationship because we're basically sister companies. Right. Yes, Gnome and X-Cube Games are, are, uh, were founded by the same guy, uh, Shridhar Mupiti, and uh, he's uh, based out of India, and a lot of the same personnel either came from one company and moved to the other, or just familiar with one another from interacting over a long period of time. So, frankly, on that side, it felt like one big team. So, typically in this business, if you have an outside publisher, for instance, you would develop the product, and then you would submit it to the publisher or a series of milestones and then they would review it and give you suggestions and then you make those fixes until you get yourself you know to the end of the product and you have a typical alpha beta and then final release phase um you know in our case particularly with trexels that was really much more internal Um, we were all part of the same company i see yeah so that makes collaboration a bit easier especially as you continue to develop the game i assume Sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. So, right, that's the thing that definitely is very different about mobile uh, compared to earlier development, such as a PC or even a console development, where you would typically release a game and then maybe have a patch or two. Right. In these cases, in mobile games, casual mobile games, 
a lot of it is essentially a service as well as a product that you're delivering. So once you've actually delivered it, not only are you responding to people who have, oh, there's individual device issues. There's so many different devices and resolutions and specific problems with machines that you, you want to deal with. So you're not only just fixing bugs like that, but you're constantly wanting to advertise and push more content into the game and then add more systems and add more things to attract people. So it's, it's more of a living game. Exactly. So I have a question too about the naming of the company here, X-Cube Games. So your logo is a lowercase x inside brackets and a lowercase cube. I'm just picturing the naming process of the company having a sheet. It's like a ballot with oval, triangle, (laughs) cube, square, and everyone checked off cube and that just became the logo. There you go. Uh, that's that's probably that may that may be the best theory that I've heard yet. Uh, the, the studio was named uh, long before I got there, actually. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that explanation of how the relationship works there between sure. developer and publisher. Let's talk more about Trexels itself. Now, Star Trek is about exploration, and it's also filled with combat. And in the end, Star Trek is about diversity, diplomacy, and learning to work together. And it seems that the majority of Star Trek games that we get, especially in recent years, they tend to focus on combat. And what you've created is quite different from what we've seen because it there is a combat component to it, but the way you approach it is a bit different. But you work in more of what Star Trek's really about. So if, if someone asked you, what is Trexel's? How would you describe it in one sentence? First of all, I just say that's fantastic that you picked it up. I totally, I totally dig that. Which is, you're, you're really correct. Most, most of Trek games are about. I, I would say they're all about combat, but combat's easy. Combat's known. People yeah. do combat, right? So the first person, and, and and don't get me wrong, you know, I I buy these games and I, I play them too. So um, first person shooter Trek, I'm there. But Trexels, Trexels is a casual builder exploration game that tries to recreate the experience of Star Trek for people on their iPads in a simple, fun, nostalgic way as accurately as possible with accurate music, with pixelated but still uh, true to the series images, and with real missions and stories and characters. That's very good. more than one sentence. <laughs> well, that's a very, very long compound sentence, so I'll let it pass. <laughs> very good. A lot of commas in there, but maybe an um dash or two, but it was great. No, that's great. That sums up what the game's about. I think it's important that people know that there's more to the game than just shooting. Like I was, I got the recent Star Trek game for PlayStation that was tied into the the movie, and and it was fine and all, but it does sort of miss the element of Star Trek that I think is the reason why Star Trek has endured for almost half a century now. If it were just about shooting your way through corridors, you know, Star Trek wouldn't be popular. People wouldn't be screaming for a new television series to come around 50 years later. There's something more about it that connects with people. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I got to agree. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we tried to do in the game. So specifically, if you're going to try to recreate the track experience, you've got to have diplomacy and you've got to have stories and you've got to have endings where it doesn't end up with somebody on their boot on the, of the neck of an alien 
standing there with their arms crossed. That's not the way the most Star Trek <laughs> right. episodes end. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about the genesis of the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. In 2010, illustrator John Martz did a fantastic poster called Trexels, which I remember when it was published. And it was published by Koyama Press, and it was this really cool poster that featured 235 characters, ranging from Captain Kirk, the obvious, to Buster Kincaid from Voyager's Captain Proton stories, and even Major Hayes, the Mako from Enterprise. It had just everyone you could think of. And they were the little 8-bit pixelated Trexel characters like we see in your game. Was this poster the inspiration for the game? Is definitely the inspiration for the game. So CBS um, was was looking. Basically, they they found this. They loved it, right? And they they worked with the artist to acquire the rights. And so they had the rights to these images. And there's a small team inside of CBS uh, that works on trying to develop new products. And they really were interested in seeing if they could use this uh, in a way to create a, 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 a new Star Trek product, right? So. We got the amazing opportunity to work with them on that. So it was honestly one of the very first things I got to do as a, a member of the X-Cube Games team is to uh, work on an initial pitch for this idea. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's a sort of a dream come true. It's fantastic. And it's it's really elegant and brilliant in a sense in terms of both development and in terms of getting it on people's phones, which is people – the thing about Star Trek is Star Trek is not narrow. Star Trek is broad, right? Many alien worlds, many alien races. It's going where no man has gone before. No one has gone before. It's not um, a corridor shooter, right? That's not the sort of experience that people from Star Trek want. And in pixelated art style, besides being gorgeous and, and instantly recognizable, also gives us the opportunity to do a wide number of different locations and characters all within a reasonable development budget. And also it gets you away from the uncanny Valley. Right? So I'm not there trying to make Chris Pine's face or does it look too much like William Shatner and yeah, people get all, yeah, it's difficult to do. And we tried to, I, I worked on a game for Thor, the uh, Chris Hemsworth movie and trying to do Chris Hemsworth's likeness on a Wii, right, is one of those oh, things that you struggle with, right? Yeah, <laughs> and if you look at if you look at this pixel art solution, it's fantastic because it's nostalgic to many of the people who appreciate this, right? Because they played games that were pixelated like this. It gives you an opportunity to develop a broad array of characters and locations relatively cheaply, and it's it's frankly just attractive, right? It's just a neat art style. Uh, people appreciate the creativity that goes into creating a likeness out of so few pixels. It's just, uh, it, frankly, it's great. So uh, CBS came to us with this art style, and then we developed uh, what the game would be around just taking those images. And then our own art director, Billy Zinzer, directed he and a, and a number of artists, both in Dallas and India, to create a wide array of alien worlds, you know, classic aliens, uh, Klingons, Romulans, Horda, and on top of that, uh, our own aliens, uh, the Krill, who are a you know, brand new alien race in our own new, I'm called universe, but uh, our own new area of, of Star Trek that we can, you know, our own creative sandbox. Yeah, and that's very cool as well. Well, that is a, a really interesting story. I was going to ask you how the licensing came about, and you just answered that. And it's 
That's really cool. I remember when the poster came out, as I mentioned, and I loved it because I love 8-bit art. And it's great that CBS actually saw that and decided to turn it into a game and then found you guys to do it. And like you said, it's nostalgic because you and I, you're a little bit older than me, but not much. And you and I lived through the 80s and we played our 8-bit video games. And, you know, everything is cyclical. And we're in a period right now where probably because of those of us who played this stuff are now in a position where we're, we're running companies and we're developing this stuff, we're going back there again. And we're seeing more and more 8-bit content coming out, especially on tablets. Yeah, I also, again, I just have to, it, it's funny. It's like comic books. It allows you to exercise your creativity quickly within a budget that you can get away with, and then people can try more experimental things. Again, I, I've worked on $20 million and greater console products. When you're making one of those, there are so many people who have to approve every decision that's that's available that you're really locked down. I mean, even when you're making a little Wii product based on Thor, you've got to get the approval of, of the of the, the publisher. You've got to get the approval of the people who are spending the money on it. You've got the approval of the people who made the movie. You get the approval of the actors. It's a difficult place to exercise your creativity. You can still do good work, but what I think a lot of these little pixelated games, a lot of people do, is they let them try ideas that, that unless you know, you're Blizzard or somebody who's really got a, a lot of money to spend, it's very difficult to do in you know, in the modern day console or PC market. Definitely. Um, although not to say pixels aren't over PC. There's just a ton of great pixelated games on Steam right now. Right, right. Well, and, and then you put all that time into those games, as you say, and then when they don't sell well because they're movie tie-ins, you get blamed for impacting the box office of the movie, right? Sure, or it kills, or it kills the studio simply because it's yeah. very difficult to, to get a lot of people all together and make sure that you've got enough work for them. It's a tough thing to do. And so the indie game scene, um, whether they use pixelated art or they use interesting sort of 2D cutout art, like a game like Don't Starve, is fantastic right now. There's just a lot of neat ideas floating out there. There really are. Well, let's talk about another element of the game here that's been a little bit controversial, I guess, although I love it. I think it's an interesting approach. When Trexels came out, Cult of Mac wrote, Trexels is cute, but disregards series continuity. And this is something that upsets many fans in a way that few things in life can, for some reason. But I feel that this is a decision you guys made for a specific creative reason, not simple disregard for continuity. So tell us about the creative choice to mix elements from all the different time periods, especially TOS and TNG in this one game. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a, there's a number of ways that you can look at it. Uh, uh, honestly, the, the goal was to try to get as much Trek content into people's hands and to let people explore the Trek universe with their own spaceship and build their own crew in the way they want, customize and design and just, you know, to be in your own Star Trek world, right, or universe. Mm -hmm. And that's, and then when you think about that, you go back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the program, which is, okay, how do you serve your specific customers? How, what are you going to give fans? What do they really, really like? And then, if you start talking to Star Trek fans, you find out they like a whole bunch of different stuff. They exactly. just do. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So you go to Star Trek, you're like, ah, Star Trek's the best thing ever. Who's your favorite character? Barkley. What? <laughs> right. 
Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like Harry Mudd from the original series. I think Harry Mudd is awesome. God, we got to have Tribbles. Tribbles are freaking cool. Get the Tribbles out of here. We need Romulans. I want to dress up as a Romulan. You know, people learning Klingon. I, I can't, I could offer people a very small sliver of the Star Trek universe and do just the original series. And it would appeal to me. And don't get me wrong. In the combination of the original series and the pixelated art, I think there's a resonance there. I think as an art piece, that's probably very smart. But uh, just to back up again to the image that was the inspiration for this, he didn't stop at the original series characters, right? Because there's just so much breadth to this world and this universe. People want to see it all. So how do you get all of it in there? Right. Well, you could try to section it off and have a chapter about the original series and a chapter of, nah, that, just, that starts to feel bad because then people who don't like Voyager are three three chapters into the game. All of a sudden, they're stuck playing Voyager when they're like, God, I want to play Cap Kirk, right? So the idea is how do you please these people? And I think that the fiction of the Star Trek universe is elastic enough and the the approach that we're taking is lighthearted enough, and again, I think our pixel art helps us here a little bit, that, that, we, can, that we can do that by creating our own Trexillian Expanse, which is basically what we've done. And we put the player in that's charge of That's an awesome name, this. by the way, the Trexillian Expanse. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the show cool. title. <laughs> awesome. We, uh, you know, we put the player in charge of the second ship to go, go and ever explore the expanse. We blow up the first ship in the opening sequence. Spoilers, sorry. But then, you know, you, you're left alone to explore this area. And again, Trek is about surprises. And again, for me, the original series wasn't quite as attached to trying to do things realistically as the later series have been. And when I say realistically, obviously we're talking about aliens and spacecrafts and teleportation and all this stuff. But when I say totally unrealistic is we've come across the planet captain and it looks exactly like earth in the 1960s <laughs> yes what the hell i mean that's not just that's not gonna happen sorry i know the universe is infinite but you have to travel so far at that point for that to happen you'd all be that it's not gonna happen but it allowed them to explore interesting stories and occasionally to have humor which again a huge part of track to me that, right. that, that has to come across in the in the in the game Right. So the idea was slam all these characters together in a way where the characters acknowledge this is crazy. Right. They're like, hey, we're in this Trexillian expanse. And we just encountered this guy who says his name is Sulu and he's from the future. What the hell? Right. That's the idea is that the game sort of acknowledges it, winks at it a little bit. And then the advantage of it is you can have a Horda in your your away team. That's the advantage. That's cool to me. That is cool. Yeah. We often try to figure out how Hordas could be Starfleet officers and work on the ship without burning holes through the console. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily I get to dodge that idea. But, you know, the, the idea that I can put a, put a Horda in the game, that I can write a story based upon Kirok, right? The yeah. Kirk character with amnesia in the Indian yeah. outfit is fantastic. The Native American sort of garb. Uh, uh, you know, I, I loved that show, as cheesy as it may be these days and that's the sort of humor that i think helps keep people interested in the game and the story helps keep people interested in the game well writing these stories is another thing i wanted to ask you about and as i talk to you today i can tell more and more how steeped you are in the original series and in all the stories so i can i can start to see where a lot of these missions and stories are coming from what is it like putting together a story 
Um, are you writing most of these yourselves? Do you have a writing team? Do you guys get together and talk about ideas? And what is it like to go from an initial story idea all the way through from conception to, to an actual mission on our iPads? I, I write a lot of it. Um, I also have, there's also a team of designers that works on it with me. There's a designer in Dallas, uh, Jeff Stewart, and there's also designers in India, Gogo and Shravan, who are writing really cool stories right now. And I, I'm sort of kind of passing on the wisdom a little bit, so to speak, so that mm-hmm. we can get a little bit more content pushed into the game. But the, the, you know, it depend, there's multiple different types of missions in Traxels. There's short, small missions, and then there are some missions that are basically full episodes or away missions, and there are some missions that we call VIP missions. So they kind of start a little differently. The standard missions tend to come from a basic storyline that I created early on for the product to sort of introduce the alien races and give them some conflicts. So we've got three brand new alien races, and then we're also bringing in the Klingons, the Romulans, and the Borg uh, in order to give the player a lot of attention. So we're kind of following a little bit of that arc for the, the basic stories with a very close eye to trying to create a variety of stories, right? And so you, you pointed this out before, it's not all about fighting. So we've got combat, space combat and ground combat. We've got diplomacy right? Ship-to-ship diplomacy as well as ground diplomacy. We've got uh, medical emergencies, we've got science, right? And we've got engineering emergencies. So we try to make sure that each of our stories focuses on a different aspect of what Trek is about so that we don't always end up with an issue, the major bad guy at the end of every level. Right. Also, we have a, a set of VIP stories, which I think are particularly interesting, and they're based upon our VIPs, which are uh, characters from the TV series and movies that we bring into the Trexillian Expanse and write specific stories about, and then we add them to the star base, and then you can actually essentially take them along as a guest star mm-hmm. on later missions that you encounter. So these are based around the specific character. So Kirok uh, is a really good example. We, we wrote one about him. And so the idea was we wanted to give the player a feeling for the character and echo the episode, but not repeat the episode. There's no point in actually repeating the episode all the way through. So the people are like, oh, yes, I know what Kirk does next. And then Spock and McCoy come down and they save him. Eh. Right. That's, it's not going to be that appealing to folks. And also it's very difficult to, to, to communicate. Right. The idea was to take the essence of the character, though, and try to communicate it. So Kirok um, shows up on the ship, right, and speaks as if he is the leader of the of the of this Native American tribe, and he's looking for his lost people, and then he he finds them, and then ends up leading the away team away to go find um, his lost people who are who are on a moon that's slowly being drawn into uh, the gravity well of a gas giant that it orbits. And there's a machine on it that can be used to reset the the planet's orbit. So it echoes the idea of the episode, but isn't exactly the same. And then we play with it a little bit because one of our alien races, uh, the Valkar, are these sort of pink-skinned barbarians with these strange, almost shark-like oval mouths. And so Kirok, of course, being a James Kirk character has to go down to the planet and fall in love with the alien princess. And in this case, it happens to be a princess of the Valkar. So it allows <laughs> us to, to sort of spoof at the same time as we're, we're uh, kind of paying tribute to the episode that inspired it. Right. 
And then Bones says, what is it with you? (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. And the fun part is then those characters get added to the Starbase. So there's a room in the Starbase that's Mm. kind of like an alien bar. And so you've got Kirok and the alien princess standing in the bar waiting for you to recruit them to your next mission. Okay. I was picturing, because I'm a musician and I used to play in orchestra for years and years, I was picturing a green room where they're all back there just hanging out, you know, eating, drinking when they're (laughs) not on stage. And then you just come back to the green room and pick who you want, (laughs) take them out to the stage. (laughs) <laughs> That's cool. We're going to add a series of different rooms to the to the uh, Starbase. So the first two rooms, we've got one that looks like a Federation embassy sort of area for a lot yeah. of the standard Federation characters, like number one from the pilot, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got this, we've got the, the bar, I think it's called the Gaping Maw, which is run by a Valkar bartender for a lot of the alien characters. So the Horde is in there, uh, Boss Oxmix from the uh, piece of the action is going to be in there soon playing pool. It'll be oh, fun. Oh, cool. Are you going to have Fizbin in the game as well? <laughs> we're, we're looking hard at, uh, at uh, Dabo. Yeah, we're looking hard at Dabo right now, actually. Okay, that'd be cool. Is there a story that you haven't written yet that you're dying to write for the game? Yes. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. That I've, got, I've got some NPCs or some VIPs set up that I can't wait to write their specific episodes. So we just finished a pass on uh, the Naked Time Sulu character, which was cool. And then I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing uh, the guy that I just mentioned, which is the, the, the piece of the action boss Oxmix, because mm-hmm. the idea here is I, I want to do an episode where he takes over your ship, right? And you're trying to take the ship back from <laughs> the gangsters. I think will be fun. That would be fun. We've also got an episode where um, energy being characters that are basically children take over the bodies of your away team and go back and run your ship for a while, which is which is pretty fun. So you have some some cutscenes and some uh, challenges that are that the character you see in there looks like your character, but he's saying things that you have to listen to me. That's I have this big chair. That's what it means, right? Because he's sitting in the middle of your uh, right. in the middle of your bridge. So it's uh, it's great to be able to play with the humorous aspects as much as as the the extensive history and just huge array of characters that the Trek has. Well, I'm scared to think how much chocolate ice cream. Troy will want to eat if she's taken over by a child who's inhabiting her body. (laughs) Well, let me ask you, with the interaction between the player and the game, at the beginning of our discussion, you talked about, you know, utilizing the interface of a system that you're working on, whether it's a controller on a PlayStation, Xbox, a Wiimote on a Wii. Now you're dealing with touch controls here on tablets and smartphones how have you utilized this touch interface to make the gameplay work? Well, I, I think I have to say that a lot of it is based upon what I would call some standard um, tropes, so to speak, of the casual game genre. That's one of the things that I think is important to realize is a lot of people have been playing Farmville and the Ilk for a while, and so we don't, mm-hmm. you don't want to steer too terribly far away from that, but you also want to give it you know, a bit of more of a Trek feel. Sound effects are so nice for that. Um, in terms of doing anything particularly creative with the touch, I think the mini game, essentially the asteroid shooting, uh, pirate fighting mini game, 
probably does the most with it. You're waiting for things to be built on your ship or you're waiting for a new mission to be unlocked. You can zoom out and shoot incoming debris. And the debris varies from asteroids to little blinking rare ship parts that look like a, a broken part of a, um, a Federation ship to other kind of Easter egg things from the show. Uh, and Orion pirates. And you tap to fire at those things, which is pretty typical. But in order to tractor, you have to touch and hold. And so you originally have to, you have to initially touch the object you want to tractor. You don't have to drag it though. You just have to basically continue to touch the screen. What that does is it creates an interesting tension between wanting to tap to shoot more incoming things and wanting to hold to be able to pull in the uh, goodies that you, mm-hmm. you win. So every time you shoot some of the debris, you get command or research or power, and you can pull those in. Occasionally, dilithium, the rare the rare resource. And it allows us to use multi-touch. So if there's three objects on screen that you want to touch, this works a little bit better on the pad, but it's fun on the phone too, is you can touch all three objects at once and see the Enterprise or see your ship fire phasers in, in all three directions. Okay, that's cool. Very cool. Well, another aspect of the game that I wanted to ask you about is the Federation Exchange. Like most iOS games these days, Trexels has an in-game store. And of course, as a game developer, it's important that... One thing about iOS games and Android games or whatever it is, is that, you know, I I grew up paying 30 40 50 60 $70 for a game. And now the the market is pretty much... If a game costs more than a dollar, people start grumbling. And if it costs more than $5, <laughs> people are like, my God, $5? Are you out of your Vulcan mind? So what are you thinking? But as a game developer, of course, I mean, you have to generate ongoing revenue from these games because it costs real money to produce these. And so the model has become in-app purchases. But it's a balancing act for you, no doubt, as a developer, because you want to create a game that someone can can pick up and they can play and they can enjoy that game without having to spend any more money on the game. But at the same time, you want to add additional elements to the game for those who really, really get into it. So how do you, how do you balance these two aspects of development and how does the Federation Exchange impact the gameplay experience of Trexels? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's a difficult one, I'd have to say. So, uh, again, you asked me at the beginning how games have changed since I started develop- developing them. This has got to be one of the largest changes, which is, uh, you know, I started developing games where people would make essentially a bet, right? You'd make a, a, an investment. You'd say, okay, we're going to spend $12 million, and we're going to build this game for two years. And at the end of that time, we expect to make X. And then if we don't make X, heads will roll. <laughs> right. That tended to be the, the model. And frankly, that's a terrible model for the people who are, who are the owners of the heads, so yeah. to speak. Right? Uh, you look at these, these, these mobile games, and mobile games obviously much smaller and much cheaper to develop. But you also have to think about, okay, so how was the game funded? How was the game originally started? So we made a deal with CPS, and in a lot of cases, when I was a console developer, you would pay you know, upwards of a million dollars or more in some cases to purchase the right to make a game based upon a license, right? So, you know, in order to make, in order to make the Thor game that I worked on, uh, Sega paid Marvel, Disney at this point, X amount of money, right, for the right, and then went out and hired another development team to go and build that game. Each one of those places you're taking a chunk of money out, but you see where the initial money comes from. 
So for Trexels, the, the goal was to try to create a kind of true life Star Trek game with a small CBS team that didn't have a lot of money to invest and our company. And, and essentially um, our company took the sort of financial burden and risk on because we were excited enough by the, about the game idea itself and by just how cool the license it was and, and how big the fandom was to build a game. So we built the product, you know, kind of on our own expense and, and kind of put the money up on our own bet, so to speak, that Trexels would do well. And so at the end of that time, the company makes a decision as to how are we going to go and, and, and make money off of it. So what we chose to do was not to go as... I guess this is a way to look at it is you can you can go free, totally free, and in which case you probably crank up the amount of money a player has to spend to progress right. at a fast rate through the product, right? right? And that's how you probably that's how you make your money. Or you put a mechanic in there that just frankly says uh, you can do thirteen things a day, and once you're done thirteen things a day, you pay me five bucks or you wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Or you can put a little bit of of cost for the product, and then you can relax those those um, paywalls, right? So that people can pay, but they don't need to pay, or they need to pay after a much longer period of time than they would have if we'd have went totally free. So, looking at that, and then trying to play Traxels itself, we felt that the experience suffered from the long waiting period. Right? That if I'm trying to do a cool mission, if you think about the way that our game works, you'll go to you'll go to the exploration map, you'll find a new planet, Landau Seven, and you'll explore the planet, and you'll get just a little taste of what's going on there. We found some ancient relays circling the planet, sir, and then you get a new mission that says, okay, we're going to try to capture one of those ancient relays. Uh, and see if we can take it back to the ship and study it. And then that mission may succeed or fail. And then once you've got that mission, there's going to be your science officer on your ship who's going to want to go to the different laboratories on your ship and study that ancient relay. And then that opens up a cool away mission. If I stretch that out too much, the story just is gone. Nobody cares anymore. It was three days ago when you told me there was an ancient relay. All I'm looking for is to get to the next stage. Right. And we just felt that the game suffered too much from it. So for our from our perspective, the best move was to charge a minimal amount for the game and then to put um, not only your typical accelerators in the game that, that you can purchase, but also to put classic uh, officers and uniforms and that sort of jazz in the game, so that people could customize. And then, if you really, if you really wanted to have Spock on your on your uh, your uh, as, as your science officer, you could do so. Yeah, and I think that works well because you know there are games. First of all, for me, I would rather buy a game than I, I'm not big on the free model personally. I, I know a lot of people like it, but. If if I like the game, I want to support the developer, A. But B, I would rather pay $5 or $10 for a game that I can then enjoy the game. And <laughs> then, like you said, if I really, really get into the game and I want to have uniform, like if I want to dress all my characters in the Wrath of Khan maroon jackets, you know, just as an example, you know, I could do that and I can spend, you know, I don't know, a dollar to get a set of, of content that way. And and then I may actually end up spending quite a bit of of money. I mean, I I've, I've played games where I've probably ended up spending I don't know thirty, forty, or fifty dollars on in app things because I'm really really hooked on this game and it just enhances my experience. But that's my decision, you know, as the player. Mm-hmm. 
I will say it's a it's a difficult balancing act, right? And and I don't, I would hesitate to say anybody out there, other than the guys who are obviously the, the most successful, know how to do it exactly. It's a changing marketplace yeah. too. So what we also do is we we watch the game. We have various analytics that we watch to see where people quit, to see what people don't don't buy. Right. They never buy this. It's obviously too much. And then we try to lower those prices. So it's one of those constant readjustments that we do. And I think everybody, honestly, everybody in this business does. It's it's really it's really necessary. It is. Let's just point out so no one's concerned. You are not like the Tolosians. You're not actually watching people play the game. You're just looking at <laughs> metrics, <laughs> metrics that are delivered the, from the game. I do work for the NSA. No, no, we get we get analytics like uh, you know X number of people bought Captain Picard, but right. nobody bought Worf. Yeah. Dang it! Really, nobody bought Worf. Right. That's because everyone so, tells Worf, Worf no. Worf's like, buy me, put me in your game. No, we're not going to do that. Poor Worf. Well, tell, tell us what's next for Trexels. Do you have any big plans for the future? What can we expect to see in the months to come? Yep, constant evolution right now. So our very last uh, update rolled out the start of the VIP system, which I was talking about. I think we've got six or so of the, the initial VIPs. And so the plan here is to expand that VIP system um, and introduce more cool characters. So Captain Pike, both bipedal and wheelchair version, right? We've already got the Horda in there. We're looking for boss, we're looking at boss ox mix, right? We've got a Tapao mission written. So all those characters are going to roll in. The initial push was for the original series, but we're also just ramping up our next, our big next gen wave. So the next update will have all the next gen officers as well as a way to replace the outside hull of your spaceship, of your spaceship, of your starship, to look like um, the Picard ship as opposed to the Kirk ship, and uh, uniforms as well. So if you want all of your characters on your ship, all of your officers and crew wearing the next-gen uniforms, you can do that too. Uh, so I think that's all going to be cool. Um, we've got s- some new daily bonus and some, some light social features that we're going to be rolling in as well. And then we've also got... Um, an update for both space and ground combat. So looking at the initial set of feedback from the game, it's been very encouraging, but uh, we probably went, in my opinion, a little too casual with the initial sort of combat models. So although we do have diplomacy and we have engineering, we have space combat, we have ground combat, is we're looking to kind of differentiate those a little bit. So we've got a new update with a bit more call it action-y, maybe, a little bit more RPG-style um, combat sequences. When will I be able to unlock the crazy Catwoman from Star Trek V? <laughs> is she a Cation? Is that what the Catwoman is? Yeah, that's what she called? is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember them from the, the animated show, if you believe Right, that. with uh, Maress, yeah. Yes, and I also played the Star Trek role-playing game back in the day. Oh, yeah. The box. Yeah. Right. And I had a, I had a Cation security officer that was particularly fun because it had a crazy high speed and with phasers, it's not like uh, it's not like people take a lot of hits. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, these sound like great updates to the game. So looking forward to those coming out. And as we wrap up, where should people go if they want to find out more about Trexels, if they want to get Trexels, if they don't have it yet, and if they want to keep tabs on X-Cube and what else you guys have coming up? Okay. Well, uh, obviously, if you want the game, all you got to do is go out to the App Store, either on iPad or iPhone, and you'll find us under Star Trek Trexels. 
just get the T-R-E-X in there, and the rest of it I think will autofill. It's not a whole lot of T-R-E-X games, which is really good for us. Right? Um, well, there is that Trexor size game, which, which works really <laughs> well if you're looking to, you know, firm up your abs, but yeah. And we also have the game on sale for 99 cents right now. That's going to be a limited time. So this is a really good time for people to go out there and give it a, give it a whirl. And the normal price is what? It was uh, two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. So it's a third, a third of the normal price. And then uh, on top of that, obviously we've got um, Trexels is on Facebook. So come on out there. And honestly, there's a really neat set of posts going on there with a the guy who started today who started to try to dreamcast the uh, Trexels officers. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so he's got uh, John Church is Ron Burgundy, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> He's got Erica. Erica Winterholler is, one, is our CBS contact, and we actually made a character based on her. She's Ellen Page. I think her name is is Werica, right? And then <laughs> there's a, an amazingly cool first officer named Colin Bragg out there, whose name I'm sure sounds a little bit familiar to you. And they decided that that he is Sir Ian McKellen, and I'm very very flattered. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Fantastic actor. One more question I have to ask you, because if I don't, listeners are going to ask us if we know, is there any chance that this game will be coming to Android at any point in the future, or is it just going to be an iOS thing? It is in the works right now. Even as we speak, we've got a team working on an Android port. Um, One of the things that we wanted to do is make sure that we get the updates that we think we need into the game before we release the Android version. So make sure that the Android version gets the cool new version of combat, etc. Excellent. And so it's 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 going right now. Do you have any anticipated time of release for that? Before the end of the year, for sure. But but honestly, this the specific date is uh, it's a little flexible sure. at this point. So I'd hate to I'd hate to commit myself before uh, we've all signed off on it. But that's great that it's going to be there because that's something that because of the the platform and because of the purchasing habits of people who own the devices, you know, iOS owners iPhone, iPad owners tend to buy. The, this is what the, the numbers show, tend to buy more apps than Android owners. And so as developers, there's a tendency to focus on, on iOS. And I know it frustrates a lot of Star Trek fans because they have Android devices and they do want to play. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, it frustrates me a little bit too, in the sense mm-hmm. that we did we did look specifically at that. It's, it was just mat- it was a matter of cost and a matter of you know it's a sixty forty decision. It's like we right. really wanted to develop for Android simultaneously. In fact, I I had a, a direct discussion with folks about it because, from my perspective, a lot of truck fans are going to be Android owners. Yeah, it's just I mean it's just, it's the it's the more open system. It's the system that people can monkey with a little bit more. It's a little bit more techy and. Uh, you know, track, track heads are up for that, right? So we, we really wanted to push it on Android as soon as we can, we could. But uh, again, it's just a matter of trying to cover your initial investment as wisely as you can and, and make sure that there's a thirst for your product, right? And then when you when you identify that, and that's the joy of these mobile games, is that you can broaden your delivery a lot more easily than you could, for instance, as a console game. So you can't you can't spend three million dollars on a console game and then say, "Hey, people like this Grand Theft idea, uh, Auto idea. We should have made twelve million dollars on it." You can do that in the next game, but you can't do anything about the initial product. The joy here is this game was built to be expandable, and so the last thing to think about in terms of what's coming next for Trek is the rest of Trek. That's what coming the rest of Trexels is the rest of Trek, right? So right now we've got the original series. We're expanding into next gen. There's a lot of beloved content that comes after that. 
right? So Deep Space Nine, how would, we, how would you like to build your own space stations on planets within the Trexillian Expanse and build own, your own rooms and engine rooms and assign officers to be able to run those space stations and play with the Deep Space Nine characters? And then we can move on to Voyager characters, right? And obviously, you know, I, I'd like to take it all the way through. And the joy of this is that we can spin off all those strange alternate characters too. So we've already got we've already got a Kirk and we've already got a Kirok. I've already got um, you know Nurse Chapel and I've got Number One and we're look, we're working on Luxwana Troy right now. Oh and, great! Um, you know maybe we're going to do Captain Kirk in the green shirt, right? Just because I've had several people come to me and go, can, can I have the green shirt for my captain? Yeah, and I got to to have that. I dug the green shirt. It just didn't close the way normal shirts did. It had to be a science fiction shirt. It was cool. Yeah. Well, with Lwaxana, I hope that the mission is that you go to a planet where she gets all of her wigs because she's always <laughs> changing her hair and there's always a wig, as we find out on DS9. Yeah, we're, we're, she's actually the first of the next-gen VIPs that we're writing stories for. She's a, <laughs> she's a little bit of a tricky one because you got to get the humor in there. Right? Yeah. That's just that's the whole point of it. I mean, exactly. Luxana, Luxana without the humor is just, meh, that's just not going to be particularly fun. So she needs to be chasing your captain around or something. And then, and then you know, sort of indifferently identify the... Uh, the spies that are just about to exit your ship as <laughs> she's beaming off. So looking forward to that. Very good. Well, Craig, thanks so much for sharing all this behind the scenes information about the game with me today and with our listeners. And if people want to find you, is there anywhere that they can go? Are you on Twitter anywhere like that? I, I, I'm not actually currently on Twitter, um, but you can get me through the, through the, uh, the Trexels Facebook page all the time. And then okay. Trexels has its own Twitter account as well. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Craig. Fantastic. Thanks, Christopher. It was awesome. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed learning about Trek Souls today, but this isn't the only topic we've been discussing here on Trek FM over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Arena Commentary. They're like, everything is fine. It's, there's nothing. Just come down. We have fried chicken. <laughs> it's good. Earl Grey. Picard's Romances. You say it's not great, Philip, but what I think you mean is it's probably one of the most forgettable episodes <laughs> of the entire series. <laughs> the Ready Room. The Romulan War. That was, what, the... Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth episode of the original series. Lawrence Schneider he invents the Romulans. That was the whole the whole genesis of it. And if they'd known that the Romulans might have been a recurring alien, they might not have given them those you know quote unquote expensive helmets. The orb. We find out, and Quark finds out as we're talking about how he reacts and sort of comes to terms with what his mother's doing. She's the woman behind the curtain. She's the person who is calling the shots at the highest level of Ferengi society. To the journey! Ultimate Season 5 Marathon. You could argue brother and sister, but maybe more like your favorite uncle, who you once had a sex dream about. I don't know. <laughs> so that explains persistence of vision. <laughs> yeah. Warp 5. Archers Lost Loves. Not dodge so much, it's just... He's unsure of himself in that in that regard. He can be a starship captain, but a guy in love? Mm, I don't know about that. 
Commentary Trek Stars. The TNG Companion. He secretly doesn't know every time he replies to me on Twitter, I let a, let a little fan squeal on the other end. I play it cool, though. I play it cool, guys. Um, no, I'm, I'm the same exact way, but I don't play it cool. By little fan squeal, you mean that sound Chekhov made. In the <laughs> continuing mission. The continuing mission audio drama. Our writer, David Raines, is a huge Lovecraft fan. And all of these Lovecraftian creatures are from outer space and you know the star trek characters they're always running into you know these godlike beings but you know they've been now well they're not benevolent but you know they speak english and you know they look like william campbell and literary treks serpents among the ruins will always help paris <laughs> wow you just destroyed one of my favorite lines from my favorite movie ever. Huh. We'll always have Iron Mike Paris. Oh, God. All right. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find them in a wide variety of places, and that includes iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, Spreaker, BlackBerry. We're also on Swell and we're on SoundCloud now. So pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, you're going to find Trek FM. Just search for us, search for the name of the show, and you'll find us there. You can also stream the shows from our website, and you can get the RSS feed there and pop that into your favorite podcatcher. If you're in iTunes, be sure to visit our new home in the iTunes store, where you'll find our dedicated artist page and a wealth of interviews and discussion from our back catalog of nearly 1,000 episodes across all 16 shows. The quickest way for you to get there is to simply type itunes.com slash trekfm into your browser. And if you enjoy the shows, please take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you, and it does help other Star Trek fans find Continuing Mission and our other shows as they search the iTunes store. And speaking of iTunes, we have a review in the UK store from our friend Jarek. Now, this review has been there for a little while. I just found it in the UK store since iTunes doesn't really alert us to reviews, and especially it's difficult to find things in different countries. So if you do leave us a review in a country other than the United States, send me a heads up and let me know it's there because it might be a while before I find it. Now, Jarek, who is one of our very devoted listeners, wrote about continuing mission. The mission continues, gave us five stars, and said the world of Star Trek can encompass cultures and generations around the world. And in this modern age, this is proved by the resurgence of independently produced, high-quality original series productions. In continuing mission, those responsible for offering up these delicacies to fans like us discuss their own love of Star Trek and the ups and downs in bringing their love affair with Kirk and company to a screen near you. So thank you, Jarek, for those kind words. And I'd like to point out, actually, that it's not just original series, although that is what the majority of fan productions are. But, you know, as Tommy Kraft showed us on here recently, Enterprise is getting some love, and I really think that eventually we're going to see people delving into the next generation and other areas of Star Trek as well. There's no limit to the love fans have for Star Trek, and the things that you can do with today's technology are just incredible. So stay tuned, and we'll see what's coming up. Thanks again for the review there, Jarek. And for everyone else, please leave us a review if you'd like to share your thoughts. 
And as I said, give me a heads up if it's in a store other than the U.S. Now, I would love to chat with you about Trexels, games, fan series, or anything from the world of Star Trek. So find us online. You can find us on Twitter under username TrekFM, on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM, on Google Plus, we have a community. If you just search communities for trek.fm, you'll find us there. We also have traditional forums on our website at trek.fm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through our website as well using our SpeakPipe widget, which you'll see in the sidebar. Just click that and you can use your webcam's microphone or the microphone on your phone to record a message and send it to us. And if you'd like to find me, I'm on Twitter under username C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username. And if Continuing Mission is the only show that you listen to here on the network, you can find me on a lot of other shows as well. You can find me on Literary Treks with my co-host Matthew Rushing, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and we interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, which is all about Deep Space Nine. I do a show called Warp 5, which is all about Enterprise, and I have guests with me on there every single week. Matterstream is an occasional show that I do about the world inspired by Star Trek. Those are all interviews. It's usually about science, social issues, or creativity, and I've had a lot of great guests on there like Armin Shimmerman, Anthony Montgomery, Rod Roddenberry, Seth Shostak, of course, Larry Nemechek as well. Lots of people on there. And then I do our daily news show, Hyper Channel, which is about 10 to 15 minutes each day. And I bring you a few stories from the world of Star Trek and share my thoughts on them. Then I also host The Ready Room along with other hosts from all across the network every single week. That comes out on Wednesdays and we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series over there. Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks that you'll find online. They have more than 150,000 titles waiting for you right now. They put hundreds of new titles out every single week. I don't know how they do it. There's so much new content. I never know what to pick up myself. But I've been getting my books from them for 14 years, so I have a huge, huge catalog of Audible content right now that I can play anytime. They have new releases, current bestsellers, lots of classics, business books, comedy, lots of Star Trek books as well, like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, which are three of my favorites. And really, there's something for everyone over at Audible. As a Trek FM listener, we have a special offer for you. You can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to find out just how great Audible is. And the way you do that is by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and signing up. If at the end of the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, and I don't know why you wouldn't want to, but if you decide Audible is not for you, you get to keep that free audiobook, so there's nothing to lose. But by supporting Audible, you'll be helping us keep all of our shows coming to you each week. In fact, the money we receive for each person who tries out Audible almost covers the hosting for one of our shows for an entire month. So you really are helping us out when you go over there and you try out Audible and you're going to be getting something great in return. Again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we really thank Audible for their support of Continuing Mission and the network. Well, thanks for listening today, everyone. And a huge thanks to Craig for giving me some of his time to share the inside story of Trexels. I really had a great time talking to Craig. I hope that came through in the show. 
And for everyone else, please join me again next time on this continuing mission, and let's see what's out there. <laughs>